0: This is Hoops Forum, a production of Radius Athletics and a quick timeout podcast. I'm Tony Miller, and I'm joined once again this week by my co-host, Randy Sherman. Before we get going, thanks to our sponsors over at 323 Sports. Summer camp season is just around the corner, and right now, 323 Sports has a special offer for camp t-shirts. You can find out more about those at www.323sports.com or you can contact a sales rep, sales at 323sports.com. They'll be sure to do it right for your summer camp program. As we enter here the late spring and early summer months, I'm I'm sure a lot of coaches will be evaluating this past season and looking forward to improving themselves and their program in the offseason. So today, just kind of talking through that process a little bit, thinking about things maybe that we should consider and maybe also some things to avoid. Randy, I'll go ahead and let you kind of kick things off with this. Just from like a broad perspective, what do you feel are the areas that a, a coach should really be looking at?
1: In my work with coaches, what I try to do is help them sort of going into the season, think about some goals, some some attainable, but, you know, realistic attainable smart goals. That's one thing. Two, sort of create a game model for, for how we're going to play and, what, what our points of emphasis are in all the phases of play. So I would answer your question by, by when we're, when we're at this part of the calendar where we're looking backward to evaluate, that would be where I would start would be, let's compare the, the plan when we left on the journey to what it looked like when the journey ended and see how closely they matched. Did we, did we, follow our game model closely is there evidence that we're closer to be playing we're closer to playing this sort of idealistic way that we created to begin with so i would say one thing to evaluate would be sort of your performance relative to your game model and desired performance for the season another area might be statistics you know, that's probably why we keep them, right? That's probably why we, we, we keep them. And even some just sort of semi-advanced statistics, they're, they're sort of our, our grade, the, the, a numerical, tangible thing to sort of say, okay, this is, this is what great teams look like or great performances look like. And this, is, this was ours, or we exceeded it or fell a little bit short in these areas. And, and that would help you pri- prioritize going forward.
0: I think to the first point about kind of what you had planned, I think that presupposes that you had something planned at the beginning. Like we, I wanted our team to look like this at the end, which that may be something for next season. Um, I don't know that necessarily a lot of coaches, maybe younger coaches kind of just think are thinking early on, like what can I do to help this team win and the individual Mm -hmm. players to improve and uh, the more, broad your goals are there, I think those are kind of harder to measure. I've noticed as I've gotten older, like my goals have gotten more specific, which has allowed you then to, even when it comes to data, we've talked extensively about the four factors. I know what data I'm looking at to what actually matters to our program. And I can judge appropriately and make adjustments appropriately rather than just having like this huge chunk of information that I kind of just am all over the place and what needs to improve. I don't know this. I think this would probably improve type of thing. Yeah. So this is probably the end of your plan planning process has happened. The games have happened and now it's time to evaluate. But if you don't have a plan at the beginning, probably this evaluation process is a, may not necessarily uh, do a lot of, a lot of good for your program. Right, right now, maybe. Right. I sure hope that, that
1: we're beginning with a plan. Yeah. So, so we can sort of, have steps that we accomplish along the way and like, you know, like instead of just, you know, what I don't like maybe is, is letting wins and loss record be the, be our, our only evaluation Mm -hmm. metric. Well, we didn't win more games than we lost, or we didn't make to the state semifinals or we didn't win state or nationals or the professional league championship. So therefore I categorically declare this season a failure. Well, I don't know that that's that's a very good way of evaluating your performance as a coach because there's so many more inputs that go into sort of just the the, the end result than just your coaching.
0: I see a lot of coaches talking about and podcasts, and I even had one here recently about like player evaluations. And to what we've been talking about would probably be more of like program evaluations as a whole. Do you think there's enough? evaluation of of coaching staffs being done
1: well probably not i would say that you know that's part of your boss's job an athletic director or something like that who that's one of i I remember being evaluated by athletic directors and principals and things like that 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 were in charge of, of evaluating your performance relative to their expectations of the program so as far as evaluating like maybe are you asking about like a head coach yeah um evaluating his staff or someone probably probably not enough like who evaluates uh who who evaluates us we could take feedback from players we could take we could take peer feedback we could take you know a head coach could elicit feedback from their their assistant coaching staff and vice versa and and then we also could get feedback from our our athletic director whoever's in charge of say evaluating our coaching performance but yeah, there's probably not good, accurate, sound, well-thought-out evaluation of,
0: of performances. That There's probably some room for improvement there. Yeah, we've taken player evaluations and just simply asked them things like, you know, what are some things I, I've heard a lot of uh, coaches doing, like start, stop, continue? What are some things we need to do? Yeah, a that's program? a good way. Um, I've also put it in the place of, you know, if you were the head coach, what would you do differently? Both of those can be eye-opening. Sometimes I think the players, they don't necessarily have the whole context of everything, so I don't yeah. necessarily take everything that they say as being something that needs to be changed, but um, it does at least give you some other, other perspective. I think what's been helpful for our staff, um, the head coach has been very willing to ask, like, you know, what kind of things do you feel like need to change? Um, but even goes beyond that, too. Like, what are you comfortable with? What are some areas that you're looking to improve in? That's been huge for me, and as, as an assistant coach, is that mm-hmm. knowing that my head coach is wanting me to grow and develop. That's even changed like our roles and responsibilities. He's given me different responsibilities to help me grow in those areas, and I think like over the course of the last five years that he and I have been together, I've become better as a coach. But it's both of us have become more effective because there was that open communication, yeah. and helping each other grow in the annual evaluations. If you want to just talk about just conversations um, about how can we improve individually and then also as a group. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a sit down formal interview or anything like that. But I think just having those conversations can help, can help your staff get stronger. And then you see the benefits for the program as well. I think an important question I would ask is what we're teaching, making
1: it to the court on game night. Mm -hmm. As simple as that, like let's go back and watch performances based on that one question. Are the things we are teaching making it to the court on game night? Can I look at a possession defensively, offensively, or the transition phases between and and say, I'm seeing video clear evidence of the things we're teaching making it to the court on game night. I don't know that there's a better way to evaluate our coaching performance than that. and, And then... If they are, let's take it the next step. If they are making it to the game night, are those tactics, strategies, et cetera, proving to be effective? And if they're not, where's the gap? And that could help us sort of chart what what's going to go forward. And I think that might be a good way to help evaluate a staff, right? So like if, if you were my assistant and I said, OK, Tony, you're in charge of guard play. And during our positional breakdowns where I've got the bigs, you've got the smalls, and you're teaching footwork or whatever that that could be a way i the head coach could evaluate an assistant by like okay i know tony's teaching this pivot foot this sort of jump stop or our footwork into a catch into a shot looks like this and i'm seeing video evidence of that i'm seeing a player who used to didn't do those things you know consistently now doing them more consistently or doing them all the time right so what what better feedback would i need to know that that my assistant's doing an effective job mm-hmm. if, if there's transference to the play, to the game.
0: Um, do you feel like there's a maybe a biggest mistake or most common mistake or just mistakes when it comes to the evaluation for a coach looking at his program?
1: Yeah, I do. I think one is our, our own inaccuracy and our own inability to sort of accurately place what, what good – exemplary looks like for this program. Again, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in a world where the sports world, where it's like just win, baby championship or bust. Then we have an easy way to say, well, we didn't, we weren't successful because we didn't win our conference or whatever, or league or championship or whatever. So, so I, I don't know that, that, that's a great way to do it because I would say the biggest mistake and the biggest shortcoming i've seen in coaches is sort of this inability to sort of accurately place what was the ceiling for this team what would have been a good season for this team so we we're we're already you know we're already going to misevaluate if we look at every single team that we've ever coached or if we look at every single job as that's just a they're one coach away from a national championship like no like not all jobs, not all coaching situations have the same ceiling. Not all teams have the same ceiling. Like for one team, a five hundred record might be like that coach did a tremendous job. Like they have not enough talent. Maybe they exceeded their talent level because of of a, a, a wonderful job that the coaching staff did. But for another team, a five hundred record might be underachievement. So the biggest mistake I've seen is as coaches, we really lack the bias-free emotion-free ability to accurately place our team on the competitive ladder therefore we're going we're bound to misevaluate because we don't really know it feels wrong if you will to say like man a good season for us would be 16 and 15 that feels bad like that feels like you mean you're okay with losing 15 games like i mean that's not what i'm saying and obviously like i'm not like trying to meet my 15 loss quota or something, I want to I want to exceed that. But like we've got to be able to look at the team in front of us and know what that ceiling would be and where we are on the competitive scale.
0: Yeah, I feel like now would be a good time too to put a plug in for what we did about a year ago this time, which was go through the series on the different biases. Where you now have an opportunity to kind of look at things realistically, to your point, and like, did I make knee-jerk reactions to improve upon a season that was a 14 and 14 season, and I thought it could get to, you know, 18 and whatever, 14. Yeah versus Amen. realistic what are the realistic expectations did i make some knee jerk reactions because of some biases that i had in my coaching i do think it i th- i do think it's important for us to come back to the source which in the, in our case is us as as coaches like how did we do and it, just us going through that series kind of revealed to me a lot of like a lot of the biases pop up throughout the season and i think you get a better perspective once things slow down and now the season's over and you're actually kind of de- able to look back with with the perspective of the whole year in mind.
1: Yeah. Well, the one, the, the one bias in, in specific that applies to what we're talking about and what you asked of my, my opinion, it's just an opinion of a mistake coaches make is the optimism bias, meaning we tend, we being human beings, not mm-hmm. just coaches or me or you, but all human beings tend, We there's an optimism bias. In that we believe things will turn out sort of better than they possibly may right so i know i've mentioned this before but I, I did an exercise with the coaches i work with once where in the preseason i asked them to just simply question predict your record this coming year and then after the season we looked back on it and they were awful at it and and to the optimistic side meaning i had guys giving themselves 10 more wins than they actually got right, right? and and That's that's off by quite a lot, not just a little, you know, like that's that's a egregious miscalculation of your team's ability. Right. So um, we have this bias toward optimism, especially when we see ourselves as the one in charge, Mm -hmm. as some as the agent of change. Like, well, I can get us there or something like that. Like like we're, we're we're. probably better able to look at say like a district opponent or a conference opponent and assess what they'll do more accurately than what we'll do mm-hmm. like i could probably say well that team down the road they're probably going to go about you know 19 wins and eight losses and be plus or minus pretty close right but like it, what i found and what what optimism bias would suggest is i'm probably going to miss on my own to the positive side mm-hmm. so um yeah i would say Less, us understand where we are in our in in our sort of our macro calendar as a program like if we're if we're if we've improved and we went from awful to bad to average like if we expect to make a jump from average to elite and skip the sort of good or real good phase like what what happened to make me think that like did i get did i recruit a 611 center did i sign an All-American did what happened because if nothing like sudden, some big jolt then the progress is probably going to remain Mm -hmm. incremental.
0: Mm -hmm. Throughout the summer, coaches are now like looking for potential opportunities to improve themselves through books. And you've mentioned several books through the course of the season, but I know just with the busyness, probably most didn't get an opportunity to read those. Is there anything maybe that you mentioned before or that you've read that you think would help with, even some of the stuff that we've talked about today?
1: Yeah, sure. I would begin by sort of like maybe looking at, as we want to acquire skills as coaches, that that in, in coaching, what skills go into coaching are sort of mostly soft skills, right? Like that it's not like you're a carpenter and you need to get better with your hammer, or, you know, saws or whatever you can tell i'm not a carpenter but but like you you have to get better communication more intangible type skills that that there's really it's it's not as cut and dry. one skill that i would say that that i i have found that i think i've helped coaches with is just becoming a better thinker like thinking like a grown-up and not not like a fan not like a, a child but like Recognize holes in my thinking, um, things like that. So, some good books for that, I would say, "Thinking in Bets" by Annie Duke is a good one. She's a former poker gambler, poker on the Poker Star tour, and she's also highly educated in in behavioral psychology and things like that. Um, and that helped her in the poker world to sort of read the the table and things like that, and, and helped her sort of pro and to clean up her card playing progress required her be a cleaner thinker, free of emotion and sort of like really think in terms of probabilities and, and things like that. So that's one. Another one would uh, would be another uh, book that I would recommend would would be called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, who's sort of the godfather, if you will, of, of sort of like decision behavioral economics and decision and analysis let's call it that so those would be two I, i also think that that i would want to do some reading on on organization on sort of efficiency and on on like how to sort of like prioritize and one a good book that i read on that is is called the checklist manifesto where where it's sort of It's a book that sort of like sings the praises, if you will, of making checklists of, uh, of, of your processes and, and following that checklist as sort of like a, a, an error prevention tool. Mm -hmm. But I thought there was some good applications to coaching in that book that could help you make a game model that could help you um you know plan a workout that like in every workout we want to hit this 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 and this and like it helps me refer back to these checklists to say okay did I include an activity that speaks to this you know they they often reference in that book surgeons, pilots, things like that before before takeoff. Like even in, in and they you know to reduce accidents and, and malpractice and things like that is like every single time we have to refer back to this checklist. Did I check this gauge? This Safety procedure, you know, like so. I I thought that would be a good one too.
0: Yeah, we haven't talked a lot um, about like from the coaching perspective, X's and O's type of thing. I would say spend more time on the teaching component of it. And we've referenced a few times uh, Doug Lamov's A Coach's Guide to Teaching. Mm -hmm. That will probably improve your on court teaching have more effect than like the going out and getting a few more X's and O's, which to your point that you've mentioned before, you probably have enough X's and O's to win the games that you need to anyway. So I hope coaches are spending time kind of thinking the off season more about that kind of thing than they are about um, a new imbalance play. That's going to win them a game. And you talked a little bit about that this week on your Mm -hmm. newsletter that you sent out, you kind of put on the Dr. Randy Sherman, uh, (laughs) uh, the garb and uh, broke some things down there.
1: Yeah, I, I it kind of just spawned from a conversation I had with a group of coaches I, I, I help, and I guess the whole debate that that I was made aware of going on was was something about what's good X's and O's that what gets called like they run some good X's and O's or that team runs some good stuff, and I, I just sort of asked the question like, who gets to decide what's good and what's bad, and and are we sure that like what we're saying. I'm declaring they run good X's and O's is it is it is that just me really saying I like the X's and O's that they run and not that they're somehow right or superior to all the other (laughs) you know what I mean so so one of the things that, that that conversation led to like well what then okay well then how would you define what are good X's and O's and my attempt at doing it my was was to sort of refer to the the um, the the medical field and say that well i want I want to do something as simple and risk and error free as possible that meets the goal and that would be to generate a good shot so if we don't need fifty seven handoffs and back screens before we take a shot and we can just kind of come down penetrate and kick I'd rather do the latter because there's less room for Someone to forget the play, a handoff in one of the passes or an error in one of the handoffs or passes or cuts or something that we mess up with. So so like much like a doctor who 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 prescribes a minimum effective dose, they give you 50 milligrams when they could give you 500, I suppose. But if like all you need is 50 milligrams, that's all they prescribe. They don't over prescribe. So, I do feel like what sometimes gets called good X's and O's are, wow, look how all, you know, but like then watch the shot, like what happened? Like then, you know, okay, a guy came off a screen and got like at the end of the, when the possession terminated, a guy came off the end of the screen and got a shot. Well, couldn't we just do that? Like, and I know that, that, that as the stakes raise and the competition raises, sometimes there are, we can't be so maybe simple but let's find out like let's let's try to be and then if we need to be more intricate to, in order to accomplish the the mission of getting a good shot then let's do that but like on an as needed basis rather than like oh look at all this cool stuff I'm going to try this like make sure that we if there's a more simple way, I'm all for it.
0: This could be its own episode. I, I think this kind of starts moving into the uh, what I hear a lot of times where people don't like NBA basketball; they prefer college basketball. And when it per- comes down to it, it's really I just prefer it. I think it's better than the NBA basketball, or yeah, the like other way more. around. I like right. it. I, I like it more. Right. That's at it. the end of the day. But you know, I do think I, I do feel like there are some. They probably could explain it a little bit better. How effective are those X's and O's? And uh, we've talked about effective X's and O's. And what are you actually trying to create out of this? I think at the end of the day, we call somebody. They say they have a great great X's and O's if you end up with, like, a wide-open shot. And how rare that actually happens over the course of a, a game, let alone, like, you can't come down every play and end up with a wide open shot anyways. Yeah, it was good. I, I enjoyed reading that. Thank you. And uh, you can subscribe to that. Go to a uh, radius and sign up there on the, on the, on the page. You got several different options that, that Randy has there for coaches and uh, I'd encourage them to go check that out. If you can, if you haven't already, and also be sure to follow him at radius athletics on Twitter appreciate all of you who joined us this week. If you missed any part of the live show, you can go back and watch or listen. You can watch the full episode on YouTube. Just simply search Radius Athletics, or you can listen to it in podcast form by searching a quick timeout. Uh, You'll find the audio version of the show there. For Randy Sherman, I'm Tony Miller. We'll talk to you again next week on Hoops Form.